0: Broadcasting once again in Brian's basement in Brooklyn, New York. This is the Campus Preacher Podcast. I'm your host, Keith Darrell. This is episode 28, Mass Shootings and Preaching Sin. Slow, Welcome, everybody, to Go the Campus Preacher Podcast, a podcast designed, designed to encourage and equip you in the work of evangelism. And today we're going to be discussing uh, a little bit the mass shooting Over the weekend, we had two of them, one in Dayton, Ohio, the other in El Paso, Texas. I'm going to spend a little bit more time on the one in Dayton, actually, than El Paso. Um, If social media is any indication, the last 48 hours, uh, El Paso gets plenty of traction and is uh, largely being discussed in terms of political context, uh, white nationalism and immigration and stuff like that. Uh, But the kid in Dayton, Ohio, um, at least... Social media. I don't have any TV on, so maybe maybe they're covering it differently. Uh, But the kid in Dayton, Ohio, was able to go to his Twitter account prior to it being taken down, and he kind of had an interesting message there. So I want to look at um, how when we do evangelism, what we need and what we need uh, prayer for. What I need prayer for. What your preacher needs prayer for. uh, What everybody needs prayer for is that in our evangelism that we'd be able to expose the hearts of men. we don't have men's hearts. And part of the reason for that, we don't have the people in our church's hearts. As we see as Josh Harris, goes completely gone. Um, and part of that is, I don't believe that we've exposed the hearts of men. And Jesus says, I will not entrust myself to any man for I know what is in a man. And so our preaching needs to really expose that. And it hit me was that a year and a half or two years ago? I saw Jordan Peterson in Los Angeles whenever his 12 Rules for Life book came out. So maybe the beginning of 2017, maybe it was 2018, I don't remember. Um, But I saw him speak there, and his first 15 minutes was basically uh, the doctrine of sin. And he brought the whole room along, and to be honest with you, it was some of the best preaching on sin and what's wicked in the heart of man – to be honest, that I've almost ever heard in my Christian life. And it's, to my knowledge, from a non-Christian man. And he basically built out of the idea that, um, you know, the, what's the, I think it's Tolstoy, that the, you know, good and evil runs through the heart of each individual man. And uh, basically how he laid it out is when we evaluate history, we, we always see ourselves as the good guys. So if in World War II Germany, uh, we would have been the resistance, and we would have been killing the bad guys, and we would have been killing the Nazis, and we would have been the good guys on history. And he basically lays all that out and kind of brings you along in the sense of, yeah, we're the good guys. And he says, if you have never have the ability to see yourself as being the bad guys, you don't understand your own heart. And he began to uh, lay that out. And I thought he did an amazing and a phenomenal job, and that needs to be discussed. And what also has me think about it a bit more, was uh, last Tuesday, a friend of mine invited me uh, to her workplace to talk to a co-worker about the gospel. So she's been witnessing to him for maybe two years now, uh, give or take, and they go through a lot of apologetic stuff. And so she'll contact me after a conversation and we'll have a discussion and then, um, you know, I'll recommend some reading and all that sort of stuff. And since I was in New York, she's like, hey, why don't you come in and meet him? And he was willing to meet, which was pretty amazing. And uh, thank God, you know, he's a, he had a little bit of a power broker at in his workplace, and uh, he set aside, you know, he gave me two and a half hours of his time, so I went into his office at 1 o'clock, and uh, th- we talked until 3.30 when he had a meeting, and we covered all sorts of issues and all sorts of ground. And uh, the thing that was not covered enough, although we spent time discussing it very early on, was uh, the nature of sin and the doctrine of sin and what I thought sin was. And, and where I, I would say I failed is... Um, so if you read the book of Acts, they're always applying it to their hearers. Um, and so he kind of agreed with me on points regarding what comes out of our heart, and if, I, you know, if and I would say make comments about myself. If I'm honest with myself and I know what goes on in my heart and mind, and I always end up quoting Bob Dilling, if people see my thoughts through my head, be put in a guillotine, and he agreed. He's like, yeah. Uh, and so so there's that strand of uh, things that need to be addressed in all of our evangelism. So apologetics is only so much. At the end of the day, the problem is, Uh, sin and in the context that I'm doing evangelism I would say eight out of ten times it's probably some sort of sexual immorality in the context of a college campus um lying cheating greed um and stuff like that but but so you know what kind of grips people um so that conversation which was a really good conversation with this guy um what hit me the day after when I was debriefing with my friend about how the conversation went was um she kind of asked, well, you know, what steps, I feel like I'm at a dead end, what steps can I go further, I was like, you got to address this sin, that's the bottom line, and it's probably sexual, uh, because we got into some brief discussions on that, so uh, that kind of hit me, and kind of intertwined with that idea was um, uh, a few years ago, man, it could have been like 10 or 11 years ago now, when, remember when Tiger Woods uh, was being Tiger Woods, and he was getting in trouble, uh, chasing all those girls and stuff like that, and being an adulterer. He um, it was at that point that I was actually reading a book by a man by the name of R.J. Rushdoony, and Rush-Juny, um, in his book called uh, the, I think it was called The Politics, um, The Politics of Pornography. And so when the the Tiger Woods stuff broke, I was reading The uh, Politics of Pornography, and he actually had a fascinating uh, section from one of. Desaad's writings, and this is from uh, Justine, uh, Philosophy in the Bedroom and Other Writings, because it's one thing, because there's obviously a sense which people want to have sex, and so on a very base level you can understand why uh, some people want to, you know, you just want to have sex. So, so there, it kind of makes sense, but there's often I would say driving forces, deeper, darker driving forces. That, that's kind of like a surface level take. Ah, oh, everybody wants to have sex, okay. Um, but there are deeper, darker driving forces at time. What it stuck out to me is when he was like uh, Tiger Woods was committing adultery with like uh, Perkins waitresses and stuff like that. So it just kind of almost sounded like he was just, you know, any context that he could get. And I, and I think when I read this um, thing in Rushduni's book, this is from uh, Marquise Desaad and Justine, Philosophy in the Bedroom and Other Writings. Um, and, and here's um, a little bit of what uh, Rushduni says and then uh, tied in with uh, Desaad's writing. So starting with Rushduni, uh, Sadian man denies manned. And this negation is achieved through the intermediary of the notion of God. He temporarily makes himself God so that there before him men are reduced to nothing and they discover the nothingness of being before God. And then here he's quoting Desaad. Is it true, is it not, Prince, that you do not love men, Julia asks? I loathe them. Not a moment goes by that my mind is not busy plotting violently to do them harm. Indeed, there is no race more horrible, more frightful. How low and scurvy, how vile and disgusting a race it is. But, Juliet breaks in, you do not believe that you uh, that you are to be included among men. Oh, no, no, no. When one dominates them with such energy, it is impossible to belong to the same race. To which St. Fond said, yes, she is right. We are gods. And so that notion of man coming before them and becoming nothing... Uh, kind of stood out to me at that point, And it began to be one of these things as you listen to, uh, you know, you begin to really listen to people as they would talk about, be it a murder or be it a killing. Uh, at root was this kind of theological aspect going on. And uh, with this kid in, or a young man, I suppose, in Dayton, Ohio, one of the things, uh, if you go, uh, his Twitter's taken down, but I, I'll, I'll post this to the... Um, uh, Fight, Laugh, Feast Network uh, Facebook page so people can see it. But I, but I really think this is this is a central element of what's going on in Dayton, Ohio. And I, th- I would, obviously racism and politics plays in perhaps a bit more in El Paso and people aren't interested necessarily in the spiritual thing. Um, but part of the reason we need a robust preaching on sin and getting into the hearts and minds of men is the reality is it is, is you know, obviously to save individuals and glorify God because um, men are in rebellion to God. But in a very practical way, it can stop something like Dayton, Ohio, when someone's heart's exposed and it's revealed. But um, this is what this man posted. It's just a, it's a symbol. And uh, on the on the symbol, or around the symbol, it says this. This is the age of sin. So, you know, the 60s, 70s age of Aquarius. We're now in the age of sin, apparently. And this is what it says. Reject the order of creation. Um, revel in the annihilation of man as the image of God. Destroy, plot, designs of death. Disfigure the face of men and women. And so... If you just look at the trans movement, you look at uh, mass killings, uh, you look at pornography, you look at all these things, I would say that it's rooted um, in this idea of going back to the De quote, um, going back to this idea of reject the order of creation. It's the age of sin, and I would say in many ways it's satanic. I would bet that the kid in Dayton, Ohio, is probably demon-possessed, that you have a lot of this stuff going on, and we need, as preachers and evangelists, to go after the doctrine of sin. And one of the things that's been radically missing, even in reform circles, as we talk about human flourishing and everything else, we miss really exposing the hearts of man. And we think we do that by downplaying because there's two ways to expose the heart, and and one of them is partially true. So in very broad circles, we often will be like, oh, you're anxious because you're not trusting Jesus with the gospel, and that's why you you know, feel like you need to find your identity in your job. And there's grains of truth to that, um, but I don't think that's really exposing of why men commit the evil acts they do. Um, That yes, they're lying because they don't believe the gospel, but they're also lying because uh, they want to exalt themselves, they're proud, they're arrogant, they're, they look at pornography because um, they, they don't love their neighbor, they hate their neighbor, um, they're, they're greedy and they're selfishly ambitious because they want to be powerful over other people, and we do uh, need to expose um, the wretchedness of man, and so we need a rich, robust doctrine of sin in order to do that, and uh, Tying into the idea of, or tying into Jordan Peterson, I'm going to play a a clip. It's going to be a little lengthy, um, but I think it's very meaty, and I I stumbled across it maybe about a year ago, and I just thought it was tremendously profound, because even though Jordan Peterson's not a Christian, doing his clinical work... he even will say that the, you know the, the base level in dealing with some of these issues, epistemological. From an epistemological standpoint, uh, the issue is theological, and he's able to tie in the idea of men kind of like Dasad uh, wanting to be you know when they have such energy over others. Uh, why it's basically uh, hatred towards God, and even when you read the history of. Uh, some of the atheist philosophers, even like a Stalin, where supposedly he sits up in his bed and he shakes his fist as God at um, one of his last acts. Um, Why do, you know, in a sense we know, but we need to expose that men and women hate God, and we need to be able to preach this clearly and preach it with grace and preach it with um, love and compassion and with tear-filled eyes, but also with great clarity. So here's a clip from Jordan Peterson where he's going to lay out the reality of how um, and he, he's doing it from a practical uh, therapeutic standpoint of addressing people who are suffering from PTSD and stuff like that. But um, some of the stuff that he ties in there I think are just deeply profound for our purposes. And uh, I, I've, I've edited this clip so some of the PTSD stuff is not in there. Basically, he lays out how laying out the reality of evil for sufferers of PTSD actually helps them. Uh, because they're able to help orient themselves. So let's just say you go off to war, you do something evil in a village that you kind of never thought you'd ever do, and then you have to go home and live with the reality of what you've done. And he basically looks at the idea that in cases of PTSD, that is sometimes driven by that reality and by talking to his patients, um, in terms of good and evil actually helps orient them to the concept of, uh, or, or adjusting and living with and addressing their PTSD. And so the point is this, the reality of it is we're terrified oftentimes to talk about sin and address it boldly and bluntly. Um, but it's actually the best medicine, uh, because that's what Peterson's actually doing as a clinician. He's trying to help people, Uh, deal with uh, the evil that they've done or the evil that's been done to them and it's this theological terminology that actually helps them
1: it's never obvious what's going on because things go on at multiple levels and i think they go on at a theological level there's that's the most fundamental level of of let's call it epistemological reality it might even be ontological reality but certainly epistemological reality if i can interject for a moment what do you mean by theological in this sense what does that mean to you well, it's been my experience as a clinician that if you, the more serious the events that you're discussing with people, the more the language shifts towards what you might describe as the religious. So, for example, post-traumatic stress disorder, that's a good example, or cases of serious abuse, child abuse, or, or like truly reprehensible interactions between people. They're best conceptualized with regards to a dialogue about the nature of good and evil the most malevolent actions, is actually revenge against God. And that's even the case case if the people who are malevolent are atheists. It doesn't matter. And it doesn't matter in some sense, it doesn't even matter if God exists. It's the the people who are acting malevolently act as if there is a sapient creator who is responsible for this horrible mess against whom revenge must be promulgated. And you know the early, earliest example of that is in that the earliest literary example of that is in the Cain and Abel story because Cain kills Abel, who is also his ideal, kills Abel clearly to spite God, uh, because his sacrifices were rejected. It's an unbelievably profound story because it's that is exactly how people react when their sacrifices are rejected by God. For all intents and purposes, they become bitter and resentful and look for revenge and the more vengeful they are, the more they enter the territory of absolute good and evil rather than proximal good and evil. And it's very helpful for people who have post-traumatic stress disorder to start to understand that sort of thing because otherwise they can't find a way out.
0: So there's Jordan Peterson describing um, why on an epistemological level from a counseling standpoint, we basically need theological terminology and especially in the more severe cases of abuse and things like that. So when you take this uh, Connor Betts in Dayton, Ohio, going out and shooting however many people he shot. Um, and you read his, the age of sin and eradicating the image of God and the annihilation and all that sort of stuff. At root, um, he's seeking to be a God and have vengeance against God. And we use that terminology a lot. Um, oh, anytime we sin, we're trying to be our own God. And and I I don't think we grasp necessarily the, the depths of that sin. So like when you see Connor Betts, what he's doing, um, I would just say it's kind of earth-shattering. It is kind of breaking. And you're like, man, that is real, genuine evil. And what we need to learn to do in our preaching and in our evangelism is to bring that out. And as um, Peterson says at the end of that talk, it just it's, it's amazing to me that a guy who is not a gospel preacher is pretty close to a gospel preacher. Because he ends up saying, um, otherwise, if, if you don't address this good and evil, otherwise they don't have a way out. And that's what we need to grasp. People are entangled in sin. They don't necessarily know their condition. And, and the hard part is, uh, is uh, I've seen people talk about sin, We're just kind of cliche. It's not really exposing the heart. So if you read, just go home, uh, go home, or wherever you are. Go to a coffee shop, go home, read the book of Acts, and just read those sermons and the way they preach about sin and learn to preach that way, and so even when, uh, I always just think of the apostles constantly telling the Jews that they killed Jesus, you killed him, you killed him, you killed him, they're never pulling this, oh, uh, he died for everybody, oh, we're all involved in the killing, no, they just kept pounding at home, you killed him, you killed him, you killed him, And, and people really are guilty, and we're terrified to do that nowadays, and most preaching in the pulpit, I think, is terrified to do that. We want the preacher to be real and vulnerable and stuff like that. We don't want the preacher to be, God's expositor who's laying bare our hearts. Um, But as evangelists and people who are engaged in evangelism, the hardest part for us is going to be that exposition on sin um, because that's when, even as Jesus says, the world hates me because I testify what they do is evil. Um, And so that's that's when it's going to hit the fan is when you – Begin to testify that what they do is evil, um, especially those things that the culture doesn't accept. You can stand up against racism all day long in our culture, and for the, you're not going to get any pushback. Uh, you can stand against greed all day long in our culture; uh, you're not going to get any pushback. You can, you know, but the minute you take a stand against real idolatry, other religions, you take a stand against sexual morality, you take a stand, a genuine stand against lying, um, and things like that. Uh, but the, then, obviously, within that. Uh, your life is going to be asked are you engaged in those things? and so you know make sure that you're repenting make sure that you're confessing uh, make sure you understand the in, in an appropriate sense the law and the gospel that you've been laid bare and that you've believed the gospel and and don't be afraid uh, to lay uh, bare the heart of men and women because uh, at the end of the day what you're really doing is applying good news to them and even as Peterson says there you give them a way out. people who are genuinely dreadful, because they're a state, because of the things they've done, and they're shocked at what they've done, um, we can provide them a way out, a way of salvation through the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So as these mass shootings take place, and I, they're probably going to uh, uptick, and especially as the racial component plays in, uh, just look at the pagan origins. Uh, the guy who did the Garlic Festival shooting, I believe it was uh, not in Sacramento, um, south of San Jose, um, he was recommending a book called a Might." Uh, might is right which is an anti-christian track and a lot of the racist components ends up wanting to go back to thor uh, um, not thor i can't remember the name of the kind of the the norse god um, odin but they want to go back to odin and these sorts of things and even strands of multiculturalism is all about going back there and as long as there's a place for all the gods in the pantheon everyone will accept christianity Um, but it's us standing up and saying nope all these other gods are false Jesus Christ is risen from the dead and he's conquering all the other gods because the reality of it is um, the other gods enslave and Christ sets us free. So we need to learn to lay all those things out. So that's this uh, episode of the Campus Future podcast on the Fight, Laugh, Feet's network. If you have any questions, comments, demands, rebukes, exhortations, feel free to contact me at Campus Evangel on the Twitter or uh, Keith at CampusFuture.com. My website is CampusFuture.com, and uh, in two weeks— uh, I believe the semester kicks off. Maybe it's three weeks. Uh, the semester will kick off and uh, hopefully have uh, more live action uh, evangelism at that point. Thank you very much for listening. Talk to you next week.
1: Behold, a went forth to sow, precious seed in his hand, hoping and hope that he might see. on his way there's no time to be going slow hurry take what
0: you've got do with it what you can because the good God in heaven needs us so we're in